wish everybody a happy Father's Day this morning, or all the fathers anyway. So, so happy Father's Day, glad to have everyone here. Um, I want to pray before we get started, so please pray with me. Father, as we come to you today, um, we're thankful to be here, Lord. Father, I'm thankful for the opportunity to, uh, to stand here and to deliver your word, Lord, and I pray that you would guide me and help me today, Lord, that all that I would say would bring glory to your name. I know that today is a, is a process, a part of my um, being evaluated, Lord, but I pray that you would take the focus off of me today, Lord, and that it would be on your word and the truth of your word, and Lord, how it guides us and how it leads us, specifically as a father and as parents in general. And Lord, I just pray as your word uh, sets before us uh, really a challenge uh, and of to do that and how to do that. Lord, in the world that we live in today, it's, it's, it's not easy, but it's a worthwhile task. So Lord, I pray that today that you would, as you challenge us, Lord, that we would receive your word and that we would be uh, go forth with, with glad hearts to try to uh, live out and, and train our children in the way that you would have us, Lord, and train them in the way they should go. Father, I pray all these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, to get started today, uh, Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Today is Father's Day. And I've titled this sermon, A Dad Who Leads to the Father. In most cases, though, the things I'm going to say and challenge us with will be for parents in general and also grandparents to some degree. I have a fairly lengthy introduction, uh, followed by three main points uh, with a few sub-points. You're going to hear me say some things today over and over, like train them, lead them, guide them, teach them. Why? Today, it is more important than ever that we are actively, intentionally training our children in the truth of God's Word. You might say, why do you say that? We're living in a world that stands opposed to God's Word and becoming less and less tolerant in Christians and, very, and, and the very truth of God's Word. And it, and it is using a platform, every platform possible, to indoctrinate our children and grandchildren with lies that God's word is not true. It is just fables. And that is, and that is, it is for ignorant and simple people to get by. Just a way for ignorant and simple people to get by. I've heard that quote. Some studies that I, that I did while preparing for this sermon looking over suggest uh, that they are being very effective in that. I'm going to share a couple recent studies done. These are very alarming, and I wish I could say they're surprising, but I can't. Regrettably, with the exception of attending church regularly, or occasionally in some cases, or many cases, I think the evidence would show in many, if not most, professing Christian homes, priorities don't look much different from those who do not express faith at all. I know that's hard to swallow. It slaps me in the face when I think about uh, 
what the evidence would show my priorities are, what my time is spent with each week. These surveys. Survey by Barna Group, a leading researcher and organization who focuses on relationship between faith and culture, says that less than 1% of the, of the population in the United States have a biblical worldview. That's bad, right? What's worse than that, and even more startling, is that the same survey shows that less than one-half of 1% 1 of people who were raised in the church, profess to be Christian, or identify as Christians between the age of 18 and 23 have a biblical worldview. Wow. Less than one-half of 1% 1 of people who profess to be Christians between 18 and 23 have a biblical worldview. You might say, what is that biblical worldview? Well, here's the criteria they used. Absolute moral truth exists. The Bible, the Bible is completely inerrant. The Bible is without error. Satan is a real being and not just symbolic. A person cannot earn his way into to the kingdom of God through good works, but must be saved by grace. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. God is supreme creator, the supreme creator of the heavens and the earth and reigns over the whole universe. I'll say again, wow. That's pretty basic, right? Less than one half of a percent of those that say they're Christians can, can, can agree with that statement. That, that's shocking, and we should be shocked, and we should be afraid. Two additional studies concerned. I won't say afraid. We should be very concerned, very alarmed by that. Two additional studies uh, from that same Barna group and the USA Today show that nearly 75% of Christian young people fall away from the faith after and leave the church after high school. 75% of young people after they graduate high school fall away from the faith. We know that uh, with that we know that Christ says that he will lose none that the Father has given him. So we know that that tells us that those, those children or those people acts probably didn't have faith to start with or they didn't have faith to start with. Um, so that leads us to, um, you know, to realize that there's, we're failing in a lot of ways as, as, as churches and definitely um, failing in the home in a lot of ways. One of the key factors to this um, is uh, intellectual skepticism, meaning that the kids, they get out away from home and they begin to be criticized for their faith and they, they don't know how to defend that or they begin to question it and they, and they even begin to deny it. You, wonder, you say, wonder why? Uh, this study also shows that kids are, are spend on an average of about 30 hours a week in school and not in every school, but in most, most schools throughout the country, they're taught things that are in drastic contrast to what God's Word says and opposed to it. Spend another 30 hours a week on telev watching television, uh, playing video games, uh, on, 
on social media, playing sports, nothing wrong with those things, uh, but when they get out of proportion compared to what, uh, what we are using to train our children in, in, in God's word, it can be a problem. When compared, it, this same survey shows that the average amount of time that a child is, is taught each week in Scripture is 45 minutes. That's about the time they're going to spend in Sunday school or the time uh, that they're going to spend in the church service on Sunday morning. When you think about those, that amount of time that's, that's spent with them being taught the things of the world or they're being... Um, I'm going to say indoctrinated because you can't watch TV today. You can't even watch uh, videos on social media or anything without uh, commercials and things that are trying to indoctrinate our children or indoctrinate us even in the things in, in the current worldview. Um, that survey goes on to say that a big factor in that too is how a child is trained in the home. How, how, how involved are the parents in the home in, in training their kids uh, God's Word? And I want to uh, go from there. I'm going to challenge this as we go through. As you see on your bulletin, there's, there's three questions. These are not questions that I'm going to cover in detail. They're just questions that as we go through these passages today in God's Word, I want you to think about these questions, how you answer them now, how, maybe how we should answer them. And I am going to challenge this on some things today, and I want you to know that, you know, when I, when I say I'm going to challenge it, there will be some hard things, and, uh, but I speak to myself as well. Uh, I use, I try to make sure that I use we in all these things, but, uh, all right, first question, what is the most important thing that you want for your, want to be for your children? This is somewhat how you would want them to view you as a, as a father or as a parent? What is one thing above all else you want to do for your children? What do you want to give them? What do you want most for your children? What is the one thing you desire most for your children? There could be a lot of good answers for that, right? There, there is a lot of good answers. But if you've ever taken one of those tests that, that has multiple choice and has a, it has several good answers, Sometimes they're all right answers, but you have to pick the best, the most right answer. I have, and sometimes that can be uh, very frustrating. Uh, because, uh, but, it, but nevertheless, I think this is good application for that because I'm sure that we're thinking of a lot of good things that we want for our children, right? Most people want good for their children. We want them to be happy. We want them to be healthy, respected accepted in the community, good reputations, not in need. Those are all good things that we should want and we should, you know, we should even pray for those things for our kids. But I want to challenge us today to understand that as fathers and as parents, the single most important thing that we can want, want for, give to, or do for our children is to lead them to God the Father where they can find true life in the gospel with the understanding that our faith cannot save our children. They must repent and believe for themselves as God draws him, draws them to themselves. But I'll say this, it should be our greatest joy, our greatest desire to lead our children to the God who saves 
and for them to be saved and to follow Christ. In John, in 3 John 1.4, this is John speaking to the elder Gaius, but he's speaking to him as a father to a son. And he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the faith. What, what better joy could we have than to see our children walking in the faith? If we, if we believe the things that we say we believe as Christians, as followers of Christ, could there be anything more important than that? I don't think so. I originally titled this sermon, A Dad Who Points to the Father, but changed it because as dads and husbands, God calls us not to just point, but to lead. And I think too many times in our society, we don't see the fathers leading in the home. and We see very little parental leadership, leadership in the home in many cases. Uh, and I don't think that pointing to, pointing to can say, be like a uh, telling people um, a hands-off approach. But as we're to, to guide our children and to train them, it's not a hands-off approach. It's not a pointing to telling, you go do this while you go attend church on Sunday. I'm going to go play golf or I'm going to go fish or I'm going to rest because I'm tired. No, it's leading them, giving them an example, showing them what we must do. We'll have various scripture today, but our foundation passages will be the Proverbs 22, 6 and James 2, 14 through 18. And I know that seems a little bit of an odd passage, but I think there's some good application there today for what we're, what we're trying to talk about. All right. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from that. What does it mean to train? Training, the dictionary defines it as teaching a person. The dictionary says a person or an animal. I'm just going to go with a person today. Uh, but to train a person, a particular skill or type of behavior. Think about an athlete. Athletes, when they're training for a particular event, maybe the Olympics, uh, how intentional they are, uh, how, how specific they are. Many times they have a trainer that's guiding them on the path to reach their goal. As fathers, we, as fathers training our children, we need to be specific and intentional in training them, our children how they should go. We cannot let them train themselves. We cannot let the world teach them how they should go, but we need to train them how they should go. All right, we're finally going to get to point one. <laughs> Lead them. Guide them by living out our faith in word and action. And we're going to get that from James uh, 2, 14 through 18. And you can turn there if you wish. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith 
by what I do. As I was reading those passages this week, I couldn't help but think that that has some application for us training our children in the home as parents. If we say that it's important to have faith, if we say that it's important to follow God's ways, if we say it's important to pray, it's important to, pray, it's important to read Scripture, it's important to do all these things, but our kids do not see evidence in, that, in our own lives of that and how we live our lives and how we are committed to Bible study, how we're committed to God's, to praying, how we're committed to following God to the best of our ability. What good are our words? If There's a quote that says, and I missed it here somewhere on my notes, but there's a quote that Ralph Waldo Emerson, he was a uh, just a poet, I think. Jan actually saw this on a church sign somewhere, and I looked it up, but it, it basically says, your actions are speaking so loudly, I can hardly hear what you're saying. I think the evidence would show by the results of those surveys and things like that, that in the Christian home, uh, that's happening. Our actions are speaking louder than our words. We need to be disciplined ourselves in order to train our children. A good application for this, husbands, uh, would be of how we treat our wives. Realize that's in full view of, of our children. How does God's word tell us to love our wives? Hmm. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present her to the church, or to himself, present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, love your wives as you love your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Sounds pretty important, don't it? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. It is important, but I think that I can safely say, husbands, we are missing the target much of the time. That's a pretty high standard. But that doesn't give us an excuse not to try to meet that. We need to love our wives loyal. Too many times our families, and especially our wives, get the worst of us. I know a lot of times I would, I'll come home from work. I'll say, I shouldn't say a lot of times because I'm, I'm getting a little bit better. Uh, you know, but many times I would come home from work and Jan would tell me, I can see that I need to leave you alone today because it's very clear that you've exhausted all of your patience and willingness to listen at work today. <laughs> And uh, like I say, I've, I've heard her, and I, and I feel like I'm getting better. You can talk to her and ask her that. But is that, not our, is that not our nature? The ones that we love the most, the ones that we should care for the most, they, they tend to get the worst of us? After all, we don't want the world to see who we really are or how, what we really think, right? We lay it out for those that we're supposed to take care of. 
How we treat our wives is a key example to our children and to others. How we view God's word. Do we follow God's commands when it, when it comes to our relationship to our wife? It is meant to be a picture of how Christ loves the church. It's meant to be a picture of how Christ loves the, work, the church for the world to see. Sounds pretty important, doesn't it? And it's in everyday view of our children. We need to take that serious, men. Wives, that don't leave you off the hook either because there is Ephesians 5.22. But since it's Father's Day and I'm picking on fathers, us today, we'll leave that for another day. You can go look that up for yourself. Uh, what do our daily priorities say is important to us? And I say that because, again, as, as examples to our children, they see what's important to us. They see what we do. And when, it, when, when my kids, when Bethany was young especially, uh, I, played, I played a lot of golf. She grew into loving. She, she grew to want to play golf with me. Whenever Jared was young, Ashley was young, I loved to fish. They went, they went fishing with me. I won't say either one of them grew into loving fishing, but they went fishing with me. Uh, but ten, they have a tendency to do to follow in our footsteps, to see what's important to us, at least while they're young. And part of our training them should be training them. We should show them by example what's important to us and not just, not just in our words. We must not simply tell our children have faith in Christ. They must hear it. They must see it in our lives. They must recognize the importance to us and that they need to see that our faith is real and it's not just a good dose of religion. Two tangible ways that we can do this, or two more tangible ways, is the study of God's Word and prayer. Let's talk about the importance of, of these two for a few minutes. We'll start with prayer. Prayer is what? Youth, one of you tell me what we said prayer was this morning. Anybody remember? I mean to put you on the spot, but prayer is the way that we communicate with God, right? That sounds pretty important too. If we're putting our hope and our faith and our trust in God and we need Him to guide us, prayer is pretty important. We must be men and women of prayer. We must train our children in the importance a prayer. How do we pray? Well, let's look at the Lord's example. Matthew 6, 5 says, well, I won't read all of that, but Matthew 6, 5 through 13 uh, tells us the example of the Lord's prayer. And it, and it starts out, Jesus first tells us, don't be a hypocrite like the Pharisees were. Don't, don't be praying just so people can see you to pray. Don't be praying just so your children can see you to pray. Be praying because you sincerely are seeking God, the Father, who is in control of all things, who, who uh, loves us, cares for us, we desperately need. Um, but then he also says, don't, don't, we don't need to worry about emptying up uh, or offering up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. Uh, we don't need to be long-winded, especially if we're praying with our... Kids, I didn't mean that as a pun, Jared, or anything. <laughs> uh, but uh, we, we do need to pray with sincerity. 
and we need to pray. Our kids need to know that we are praying with sincerity, and it's not by many words that sincerity comes. It comes from the heart. It comes from the truth. It comes from the heart that is guided by God's Word. Jesus said, He did say, here's how He prayed, Our Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. He's giving God praise. For Your kingdom come and Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, Jesus is telling us to be sincere, to trust in God. If we say we trust in Him, let's let's put our faith and trust in Him and let our prayer life show that. Ephesians 4, 6, and 7, and I'll read this because many times when things are hard, this is when, when the real us comes out. This is when the, when, the, when the buck hits the road, things get hard, what do we do? Ephesians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts in Christ, and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm going to speed up the pace. Um, what kinds of prayers should we be praying for our children? First, we should be thankful to God that He has entrusted us to guide them and confess that we are in complete need and need of His guidance to be able to guide them. I cannot guide my children rightly without God's help. I can guide them to some good things. I can teach them some morals. I can teach them some uh, to be financially stable, those kind of things. You, you can do, but I cannot teach them to follow God uh, without uh, knowing Him myself. Pray for their salvation. Pray that God will use them to glorify His name. Pray that they will love His Word and honor its unchanging truth. Pray for their future spouse. Pray for their needs. Pray that they will not be deceived by the world and its values. Again, I'm going to say it and I'll repeat it again. Our children, all of us really are under attack trying to be deceived by the values of the world instead of the value of God's Word and His ways. We need to pray for our children with sincerity and with intention, not just help-heartedly. Pray for them and pray with them. I know many times uh, we did a few things right, raising our kids. We did a lot of things wrong. A lot of times I'll look back and I'll think, Lord, it's only by God's grace that our children turned out as well as they have, not by anything that we've done because, um, believe it or not, I do a lot of stupid things, and my wife can tell you. But uh, we need not to... Um, we need not trust in our own abilities, but trust in God and what, what He does. Um, we must be men and women of the, of the Word, lead our children to... I got lost my page there for a second. Hang on, I'm sorry. We must pray for them and we must pray with them. Now let's talk about the importance of God's Word. God's Word... With the guidance of the Holy Spirit is what? 
God's Word is how He talks to us. If we hear people saying they have a word from God and it doesn't come from this book, it should throw up some radar. There's no new word from God. This is God's Word. This is what we got. God gives us application out of His Word, how to use it. But God's Word is unchanging, and we need to be... Uh, it's how He communicates with us, how He tells us to live, how He tells us to raise our children, even. Some say we don't... Why do I need to be men or women of the Word? I say that because so many times... I'll talk to people at work or wherever, out in the community or uh, various places, and, and they'll tell me that they, I'll start talking to them about the Lord, about God, and they'll tell me they're Christians, and somehow we'll get into the conversation of how much time do you spend in God's Word. And about 75% of the time, maybe 80%, people will say they either spend very little or they never read God's Word. That kind of puzzles me. I mean, we say, and my, I always have a follow-up question is, wait a minute, you, you say you're putting your hope for eternity in God and, and as being a Christian, which it tells you in this book what this is, but you don't open it up and read it to understand what it says? That's kind of like me saying I'm going to drive to California and... Uh, but I'm not going to use a road map. I've never been there. I don't know how. And Jan will tell you my directions are not very good when it comes to driving. Uh, I can do better in the woods than I can on a highway. But um, how can you not read God's Word? How can you not? You say you're, you're trusting your, your eternity, your family's eternity on that, but yet you don't read it? You don't know what it says? You only know what you might have heard someone say maybe years ago in Sunday school or even... Today in Sunday school, we need to read God's Word for ourselves. We need to know it. We need to study it. We need to be diligently in God's Word. We need it more than we realize we need it, even as, even as true believers. If you have no desire to read God's Word, if you have no desire to pray, there's a problem. And, and you need to search that out with God. But there, there's a problem. We need to be in God's We need it. God's Word is, is how He's chosen to reveal Himself to us. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's Word will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Sounds pretty important. Hebrews 12, 4, 12 through 13 says, For the Word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, joints morrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but are all naked and exposed to the, to the eyes of him who we must give account. God's word exposes us. God's word corrects us. God's word guides us. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who need not be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of God. We need to be able to handle God's Word, the Word of truth, rightly so that we can train our children, fathers. Right? How can we train someone if we don't know how to do it? You know, Andrew tries to train people in, into playing golf and he doesn't do such a good job sometimes, but neither do I. 
You know, we're not either. We're not golf coaches. Uh, but we need to know ourselves. No athlete is going to hire a trainer to train them how to, how to play golf or play basketball or do Olympics that don't know what they're talking about. We need, this is God's, God's charge to us as fathers. Know His Word. Be able to teach it to your children. It's your job. It's, all, it's our job also at the church, but it's primarily your job in the home to train your children how they should go. I will say it's primarily our job in the home to train our children how they should go. This is how we should shape our children and guide them. Again, we live in a culture that says there's no absolutes as opposed to God's Word, chiefly because it says there is absolutes. God says there is right and wrong. He says there is a supreme being and it is Him. We live in a culture that says everyone should simply follow their hearts and do what they think is right, what feels good to each his own, right? No. This can sound kind of good, but it stands opposed to God's Word. We must not train our children or let them be tra trained to live based on their heart and what feels right. The heart is easily deceived and must be checked. Jeremiah 17.9 says... The heart is deceitful above all things. And then it goes on to say, it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's pretty powerful. Our heart is deceitful above all things. It means what we think is right, our own way or what your child thinks is right, is probably wrong. It needs to be checked by God's Word. Our heart on everything that we needs to be checked by God's word. And if it doesn't check with God, check, line up with God's word, then our heart is wrong and it needs to be corrected by God's word. We don't change God's word to, to uh, line up with our hearts or our feelings. Our feelings need to be lined up with God's word. We must protect our children with the truth of God's word that they must trust it, not their feelings, not their heart. A worldview that says we should let our children grow into whoever and whatever they desire, they are without, the, without our interference. I'll say again, God's Word says no to that. That is not how God designed the family to operate. That is not how God designed uh, for fathers, for parents to teach their children. He says teach them. Guide them. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, and it goes back to the heart a little bit, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline corrects them. We must train them. And to do this, we must be in the home. I'll say that again. To do this, we must be in the home. We can't be out seeking the things of the world constantly and expect that our, uh, our kids to be trained in the ways of the Lord or expect the church or whomever. It's, as I said before, partly the church's job to disciple our children and to, and to disciple us, but it, it doesn't take away the responsibility that God gives the home. We are to train our children. What's important to us? Our kids know what's important to us. I'll say it again. 
And what I'm, and asking, I'm asking each one of us, what's important to us? What does our time show is important to us? Our jobs, our careers, pleasure, sports, hobbies, TV, games. How much time do we waste meaning, on meaningless stuff? Trust me, I know I can waste time with the best of us. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk with them when, when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. And when you rise up, when you rise up, who, who do these verses tell to teach and train? You. Me, he says, you teach. You teach your children this. These words should be fresh on our lips. Uh, we should talk about them in the morning, in the evening, of a night, when we lay down, when we get up. Sounds pretty important, right? It is. All right. I got two more points, but I'm going to make it very quick because I'm already close to out of time. Uh, Point two is to lead them rightly. We must be men and women of confession. And I'm going to point us to a lot of scripture here because I don't have time to cover everything that I have, but Proverbs 28:13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. We we all sin and fall short of the grace of God, right? And we see it throughout Scripture. Great men of the Bible, David, Solomon, uh, Abraham, you name it, fell. But the key to most is that they repented, that they turned from that. They didn't linger in those sins. They were, we actually um, turn, turn away from our sin and turn back to God. We're sorrowful for that. I'll challenge you later on, read through Psalms 32, 3 through 5. That's David uh, crawling out to God as he was, he was talking about this, his sin in his life. Acts, 13, Acts 3, 19 says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing might may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the, uh, the Christ, the appointed one pointed to you, Jesus. There's a pattern in the scriptures that I've given you that repentance is good for us. It leads to time of refreshing. It, it, it leads to the right relationship with God, not having things there that hinder our relationship to Him. Sin and, and lack of repentance of our sin leads to death. Leads to death. We'll skip on to the third point because it's the most important point. Uh, we've talked about a lot of things today, give a lot of good examples of things that we can that we need to do as fathers and as parents that uh, for our children to train up our children in the way they should go. The key thing to that before we can train someone, just as I actually talked about as an athlete, we must know the way ourselves. Jesus told Nicodemus, "You must be born again." to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
We have to be born again to be able to lead our children and our families right as fathers. Jesus said in a parable, uh, Luke 6, 39 through 42, can a blind, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. We don't want to teach our children to be religious. We don't want to train our children to be religious. We want to train them to trust in God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, which is our only hope. Point one of today's sermon was to lead and guide our children by living out a, a life of faith in word and deed. And again, we cannot accomplish this if we do not have that faith ourselves, if we're not trusting in grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Jesus, let me rephrase in Proverbs 22, 6, it says that train up a child in a way that they should go. They will not depart from it. And a good application of this, Jesus in, in the New Testament, John 14, 6 says, I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him, except through me, Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way. There is no other way. If we want, if we want to come to the Father, we come through Him. It's not by good works. It's not being that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of good works or works, so that no one may boast. For we were created, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk. We were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Do you believe this? Would evidence show that you believe this, that we believe this? Do you know this? We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Are you trusting in this or are you trusting in something else? I know for many years of my life I was trusting in something else. I was trusting in being a good boy, being religious, even knowing the Bible, reading the Bible. That's not what is required of us. What is required of us is to trust in God's grace through faith in Christ and what He has done for us. He paid the penalty for sin that I cannot pay. If you're here today and you haven't put fully put your faith and trust in Christ, let this passage speak to you in 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. We implore you, brothers, on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Powerful. Jesus became sin and took the punishment for the sin of those who would repent, believe, and put their faith and trust in Him. But for those who will not, your sin debt remains on you. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3.11 tells us that no one seeks after God, and I will say this today, if you're here today and God is drawing you, you're not here because you're seeking God, but because God is seeking you. Today, if God's Spirit is convicting you, drawing you to repentance, and to put your faith in Christ, don't hesitate. And I'll say that to those who might be uh, watching on Facebook or wherever. If you're here today and God is drawing you, it's because He's seeking you. Would you trust in Him and follow in Him? And don't hesitate. Put your faith in Him today. Pray with me. Father, we're thankful for, for this day again. Thank you for the opportunity to bring your word, Lord. I, I pray that you will use it. Uh, to further your kingdom, Lord. For in your word we find truth without error. We find hope. We find life. Lord, we need you. We need you as we attempt to lead our families as fathers and as, as parents. We need you, Lord. We, we desperately need you and we need your guidance, Lord. And we confess that today. And we just pray that you would uh, uh, bless our prayers and... Uh, Use them today for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.